You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I, I didn't mind Tony LaRusso's weird lineup with Jake Lamb over first base in the last game of that twin series, right? Like, I was like, well, this is this is dumb. I don't understand it. You have a natural first baseman that you have standing in left field, and Lamb has already proven he can stand in left field. So whatever you had, like who you had promised days off to, and Abreu wasn't feeling so hot, he'd run into the wall. He really needs to stop channeling Aloy Jimenez. I mean, I, I know they like each other a lot, but geez, you know. Yeah, he puts his red gloves in his back pocket, and next thing you know, he can't handle a wall. Like, he bounced off that thing twice, and then he tried to lean against it and missed it and fell into another wall. He was lucky a wall didn't fall out of the sky and land on him when he did that. <laughs> what is it with the White Sox on walls? We need more padding. There needs to be far more padding. Don't you remember, Aaron Rowan, that started with Aaron Rowan back in the day. Like, you gotta pad the walls. Yeah. Well, well, Lamb is a first baseman. That's what he played when he was a Diamondback. Guess what? He sucks at it. He's terrible at it. Well, yeah, he's terrible he should never at be it, there. and that's why he's no longer a Diamondback. No, he should, he should never be over at first base. He should never stand there again. And at least halfway through the game, LaRusa made the adjustment. He was like, all right, all right, I've seen enough. Put Vaughn over at first base. I was done. Right, I mean, like, at least he did that. But I, I, even then, I understood what he was doing because he had been on such a run, but there was that little part of me, right, that was like, can't we just run our best lineup out there and put him 10 back? Like, I wanted to crush the twin spirits. And then we still crushed Oh, but you know what crushes the twin spirits even more than putting your best lineup out there and guaranteeing a win? Beating them with your worst lineup. Yeah, getting beaten by Jake Lamb. Belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Two friends sitting in a nine-foot homemade oak bar in my basement on the south side of Chicago doing socks in the basement, all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Phone numbers on the logo for Socks in the Basement. You might be listening on uh, iTunes. You might be checking it out on Spotify. Doesn't matter where you're looking at it. If you're at SocksInTheBasement.com, logo's right there. Also the website, FAMWS.com. Any job, big or small, mention Socks in the Basement, and you get a discount. Thank you very much to Family Waterproofing Solutions for sponsoring this show, and thank you to the White Sox for making the past week just oh, blissful. Oh, wonderful. My buddy Joe calls me up. He's uh, he's my oldest kid's godfather. My daughter, Audrey, he's her godfather. We were longtime college roommates. We're, you know, we're besties. But he's, he's from Edina, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. He is a diehard Twins fan. In fact, he loves the Twins more than any other sports franchise that's up there in Minnesota. That is his team. Much like for you and I, it's the White Sox before anything else. And... He, he calls me up during the first game, and he's like, I can't even watch the game. There's some kind of, like, dispute amongst cable TV channels up here, and they're not even on TV in Minnesota tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, I'm following along on my phone, and I don't understand what just happened. And I was like, well, all of your outfielders somehow fell over each other just a minute ago. And he's like, oh. And I'm like, and your bullpen's atrocious. He's like, they're the worst bullpen. He's like, the Twins' bullpen is so poorly constructed it is the number one thing being talked about on Minneapolis Sports Talk Radio right now. And he's like, and they've been talking about it because we, we had a long conversation during the game because I had described to him how his team was getting beat. He was like, once you get to the bullpen, add three, four runs. Like right away, if you can just hang with the Twins and get to the bullpen, 
you're going to crush them. He's like, their bullpen is terrible. There were people complaining about the construction of it. And he's convinced that Rocco Baldelli is so annoyed with what was taken from his bullpen and what was given to him that he's like, I'm just going to keep managing the way that I'm managing so that you guys can see these guys aren't good enough. Right. And that's where the twins are right now. And that's just, that is not a team that is a threat. Like right now, I will not think about the Minnesota twins or worry about them in this division. I don't care if, if they win the series in Minnesota, they still won't concern me because they've got to take the long road back to 500 before they're even relevant. And by the time they get there, we are going to be long gone. They are going to be in the rear view mirror. Like at this point, I'm just looking at the Indians. Like, are you just doing the same thing? Like, I'm just looking at the Indians. What are the tribe doing? And how are we adjusting to the injuries? And how long can Tony pull all the right strings and hit all the right buttons? The Indians are what's left. And the the nice thing about that is the Indians have a very clear Achilles heel this year. They can pitch. They got plenty of pitching. They they have a good rotation, a little trouble at the back end. They got good arms in the bullpen. But boy, oh boy, can they not hit. They have Jose Ramirez and a bunch of nada going on there. Eddie Rosario was a nice pickup for him, but he has not solved any of their problems. They, they still have just a ton of problems all over the field. So I'm not as worried about the Indians as I was about the Twins, who... In theory, should have been a much more balanced. They should have been able to pitch well enough and hit well enough to hang with the Sox all season. If the Indians don't find, say, three, four batters somewhere in here, either develop them, call them up, or trade for them, they're not going to last. When the team gets good, you you start seeing the national talk, right? Yeah, you start seeing finally. You start, you start seeing, seeing Lou Canellis start showing up at White Sox games. That guy only shows up when your team is good in Chicago. Like, yes, <laughs> like, yeah, he's. When Lou Canellis one track when, minded when, on there. When local guy Lou Canellis starts showing up at your ballpark, it's because he's like, whoa, I better learn about this team. They seem to be good. Like, like and I'm starting to see pictures of him out at the ballpark doing reports like he was there the entire time. Like, get ready for the bandwagon jumpers, and I'm fine with it. Come on, come on, there's plenty of room. They're opening up to 60% capacity. We got we got space. Yeah, those of us that were here through the rebuild, we all know who we are. We're all going to recognize each other. We're like, hey, there's oh, yeah. there's so-and-so. We were all in this at the beginning, but I don't care. Fill the ballpark. Let's have a blast. But we've gotten to the point where there's national discussion, and I'm looking at this CBS Sports article, and they're talking about the White Sox, and the whole thing breaks down. Their offense is really, really good, but here's the issue. Jose Abreu with a slash line at the time that they wrote this article at the end of the week, 240, 336, 457 so far this year. Yasmani Grandal, 130 with a 333 slugging percentage, but guess what? He gets on base, right? And there's struggles in the lineup, and yet they're that good. And then they look at the pitching staff, and they talk about how, look at Dallas Keuchel, look at Lucas Giolito. They're not performing well, but their pitching staff is one of the best in baseball. This team hasn't even scratched the surface yet. This is a team that once their manager learns their personnel, figures out how to manage in the 10th inning, because he's still trying to figure out that strategy. And some of these guys that over their careers have always shown themselves to be good actually start playing to the level they're supposed to be playing at. This team gets even better. And right now, there's one team that we're in competition with from this point forward, unless somebody comes out and proves that we should mention them. Until some, until one of these other teams somehow find their way back to 500 and we're going to have a conversation about them. Otherwise, it's Sox, Indians to the end. 
And who knows if the Indians can hang on without a really good offense and top-heavy pitching that when you get to the fourth and fifth guy in that rotation, you're like, eh, are they really that good? So, I mean, like, like I don't want to get super excited. I don't want to declare it's over. But you have to stick your chest out a little bit and look around and understand that there's a lot of national writers. They're looking at this and they're saying, oh, yeah, this is the team. They're going to win this division and they're going to be a threat and they they may go to the World Series. And and everybody's starting to see what the team is and the potential to even get better. Yeah, well, that's the the thing is I'm watching the games this week and I'm still sitting there and, you know, and I'm texting with other Sox fans and. You know, we're, we're, you know, we we have kind of running gags that will text, you know, like Billy Hamilton says something or suddenly, is, hey, is Billy Hamilton good? You know, we're, we're constantly <laughs> texting things like that back and forth. And, you know, and the answer is sometimes, yeah, maybe, you know, and sometimes it's, uh, no, but that was a nice play. Uh, but as you're looking at it, you know, I, I start to realize, I'm like, gosh, you know, Jose's heating up. He's not where he's going to be yet. And when he gets there... Wow. And, and you know, Yasmani Grandal, he hit a home run, and you, you look at it and you go, okay, if he starts actually hitting like like he usually hits, like if he gets back to his career numbers, that's that's another hole out of the lineup. And this offense is clicking right now without him and without Jose really having been, you know, his normal self. So if you clear up, if you think about, like, what, what we're talking about here, the Indians have to clear up probably six spots out of their lineup realistically, Right. And the Sox have to clear up two to three because they're still really looking for an everyday center fielder. And you're waiting for Yasmani Grandal to hit and you're waiting for Jose Abreu to hit. And he's and they're both kind of starting. I can count on one hand, and, and frankly, one of my hands doesn't even have all of its fingers. I can count on one hand all the things that the Sox need to do to get really rolling to where this team should be. And they're already really rolling. So, I mean, that is, if you're not sticking your chest out as a Sox fan, if you're not puffing up and sitting there going, this is my team. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the the culmination of, of the rebuild. Watch out to the rest of the AL and eventually to the NL. You're not doing it right. You're not being a fan. Uh, before we get to our guest, Scott Gregor, uh, if you if you right now had to pencil in the game one starter, who would you who would you do it? Like in a playoff series right now, who's your best pitcher? Who goes game one? Ooh. Your best pitcher in the postseason. I think Tony would pick who I'm thinking right now. I think right now Lance Lynn is your best starter. That's that's who I was going to say is Lynn, and it's it's primarily because I trust Lance Lynn to, to get out of trouble. I trust Lance Lynn to be able to come back and and make something happen even when he doesn't have it. He's an ace, and that's what the Sox traded to get, and they they are I think they're certainly getting it. But I would I would not hesitate to put Lynn to open up a, a playoff series at all. I think Tony looks at him right now and goes until somebody proves otherwise. That guy's on the mound game one of every series in the postseason. Just the way he's playing right now. Lock the change over the next couple of months. Just the way that he is playing right now. Ed, Cork and Carey at the park is going to be hopping all summer long. I'm going to tell you something right now. There is no better place to go before and after a White Sox game or during a White Sox game. Home or on the road where you can hang out with other White Sox fans and enjoy an extensive menu of delicious food, ballpark items, and then also a great selection of beer, wine, and spirits. It is a wonderful bar, really nice spot, indoor-outdoor seating. During the summertime, those big windows thrown open, a nice breeze going through. It is a neighborhood place in the shadow of the ballpark, and you can actually rent the entire venue for your own watch 
parties. Check out the menu, check out how you can rent everything, or just get over there next time you're down at the ballpark before or after the game. 33rd in Princeton, right on the corner, Cork and Carey at the park, a Southside tradition and another tradition covering the White Sox for the Daily Herald for a long time. Scott Greger on the line. How are you, Scott? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? Uh, just rolling, man. I mean, what a great week. Uh, you know, what a great week ahead. We talked about on our last episode, you're playing two franchises between the Royals and the Twins in this stretch. And during that stretch, you're playing two franchises you hate. If you're a Sox fan, you don't like the Royals. You don't like the Twins. And being on a roll and just stepping on the Twins when they're down, I think brought a lot of warmth inside of uh, Sox fans' hearts. Yeah, you know, it, um, it, it's still early. It's still early. But, you know, if you really just look back to, like, the start of May, um, when Louis Robert went goes down with that, this really devastating hip injury, you're like, okay, wait a minute now. There's, you know, Eloy's out. Robert's out. Um, you know, Tony LaRusse is making really bad decisions and this team's going down, you know, it's like, it, it was all right there and it's all like falling apart, you know, in early May. And here we are, what, like two weeks later and this team's got the best record in, in the majors. Yeah. They just swept the twins. The twins are 10 games out, you know, at this early stage of the season, but it looks like, you know, there's a long way to go, but I don't see that team pulling back out. Kansas City's coming in today for this doubleheader against the Sox with an 11-game losing streak. I mean, what was it? Three weeks ago, they had the best record in baseball. So, you know, it's right now, you know, you don't want to look, you know, too far ahead or anything. But, I mean, just with the way the White Sox are rolling with the pitching, with the, you know, the other guys, you know, in the lineup stepping up for Robert and Eloy, um, you know, this this team is, is going to be really tough to beat. And it looks like Cleveland's the only team in the central that's going to be able to hang with them. I'm getting the feeling right now that Tony looks at the team that was given to him and then says, all right, but I have to figure out for myself. This is something we floated on a previous show. I think an episode or two ago, no matter what the white Sox knew about their guys, no matter how they felt about their prospects, no matter what they felt about their pitchers, no matter what they told them about in the off season before the season began, Tony LaRusa needed to actually see it himself. He needs to push every pitcher in a certain situation to say, can he do it? Can he not do it? He throws Jose Ruiz out there in a pressure situation in the last game against the Twins because he needs to see, okay, fine, he's been pitching well early on, but can he actually do it when he's he's got some pressure, when he's in a high leverage situation? He keeps a starter in maybe a little bit too long for, for White Sox fans, but he is testing because he needs to figure it out for himself is are you getting the impression that no matter what scouting book he might have been given by the organization about their own players he is a manager kind of needs to know for himself and that's why we're seeing some interesting roster moves early on and guys put in different positions out on the field yeah absolutely chris um you know for as much as man he had 33 years experience in three world series you know championships coming into this job but, you know, he had the long layoff, so he's got to kind of overcome that. He's made some mistakes. And as far as his own roster, I mean, yeah, like, you know, yesterday, I think I saw you comment on it that, uh, you know, Jake Lamb at first base. Can this guy, you know, Jose Abreu, as much as he wants to play, uh, you know, every day at first base, he's, what, like 34, 35 years old now, and he needs a break. Hey, let's see if Jake Lamb can play first base. Well, I think we all saw that Jake <laughs> Lamb can't play first base. No. So, <laughs> but, you know, it's, yeah. This is the time. This is the time to you know to, to uh, you know check that kind of stuff out and see what you have, what you don't have, and 
it, it actually helps when you're you know playing as well as they are and you know um, they've overcome really every bad fit that that Larusa's you know tried to experiment with and um, I just think as you know obviously as the year goes on here he'll he'll get to know these guys better and better and uh, you know he should improve as a manager as it goes along. Well, winning cures everything, and I'm wondering how you feel having to cover the team day in, day out, you know, the press conferences, the sources that may reach out. To me, it feels like when things are going well, then everybody's happy. They go into a bad stretch or he makes a bad decision. Next thing you hear is like, oh, there's people angry with him inside the clubhouse, and there's some players that don't like him, and they're like stuff gets leaked, like almost like when something goes bad, you're going to get contacted, Scott. You're going to have somebody reach out to him and be like, oh, you got to hear what's going on in there. But when things are good, nobody's going to say a peep. I mean, are you worried you're going to go on a roller coaster this season? The good weeks, everybody's smiling. The bad weeks, something goes wrong and you get a phone call or a text from somebody and you're like, is this somebody trying to, to start trouble or is this really happening? I mean, I would, I'd be concerned about that if I had to deal with that all year long. Yeah, no, yeah, that's just, you know, Chris, that's just, I mean, I've been covering the White Sox since 1994, and I, I just remembered, you know, back in the beginning, you know, it was before social media, and that's really caused a lot of the, it's not even like if, if this team for, you know, the White Sox for as well as they're playing, if they lose five in a row, I mean, if this team loses two in a row, you know, you're going to start hearing stuff, and, uh, you know, most of it's just smoke, and it's just, it's just part of it, I mean, there's always fights. Look what happened with the Mets last week with Lindor and uh, I can't remember the other guy that the, the outfielder on the Mets. I got into it in the tunnel. I mean, it's just it's just it's a long grind of the season, and you're you're going to have that kind of stuff. You're going to have for as good as the White Sox have you know are playing, they're they're going to lose four, five, six games in a row at some point. And you know, I think with Larusa is that the one good thing with him is that he doesn't panic. I mean, he's been through this before, and he knows just you know, how long of a ride it is. And, uh, you know, he's able to ride stuff out. He's not going to freak out like Rick Renteria would or, you know, some of the other managers the White Sox have had. So, I mean, I I, I just think that this team's in in good shape and they'll be able to weather pretty much anything. Yeah, and imagine if all of a sudden he figures out how to handle 10th innings with these rules. I mean, like, like, look, I mean, all these other men, I was frustrated he didn't know the rule. Like, that made me angry. But on the other hand, I also understand we have a manager that's managed a certain way his entire life, and this is brand new. Like, what is the strategy to get the runner home? And it's like he's experimenting right now. And all of, like when we get to the tenth inning, I am I am like, well, he hasn't figured this out yet. Until he actually shows me, he knows how to get that run in in the tenth inning. Where a lot of other managers seem to have figured out their strategy, Tony seems to be still looking for his. It'll be interesting to see if he can figure that out. They become even better. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, you know he came in he came into this job where he, you know Larissa's reputation has long been you know I'm like I'm the smartest guy in baseball just ask me and uh, you know it's so uh, when when there is a mistake like that it's yeah I think most managers it would just be kind of like they let you know slide off his back but with Larissa I mean when he makes a mistake it's it's pointed out and it's magnified and uh, you know he's dealt with it it's you know that's a game of imperfections and he's you know, he, he's at least stood up and taken the blame and, you know, and then it just kind of goes away. So Scott Gregor, Daily Herald, I'm sure you're pretty excited looking at all the things going on in the world right now. You might actually get to walk into a locker room soon. Like you might actually get to like yeah. see these guys face to face and get back to the grind. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I sure am, Chris. And you know, that was like such good news yesterday that just like the, uh, you know, attendance can increase to 60%. 
And then, you know, maybe by mid-June or July 4th at the latest, I mean, if you have a full capacity again, um, I'm just more, I'm more happy for the fans that have really have like, like people like you that have really like suffered through that long rebuild. And then the years even before that, when they were just patching veterans together and not playing good baseball. I mean, this, this team, it, it would be really fun just to go sit in the stands and watch this team in the summertime. And, uh, so that's great. And if I can get into the clubhouse too, that would be great too. But, um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, things are really starting to trend in the right direction and it's good to see. Awesome. Scott Greger, Daily Herald. We will talk to you again soon, my friend. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot. The Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network has Socks in the Basement, the all-new Southside Pod, and so many other podcasts that are 30 minutes of good in a world of dumb, and one of those deals with health insurance, which may seem boring to you, but I'm going to tell you, I learn an awful lot from Butch Zemar and the Zemar Podcast, available everywhere podcasts can be found, and also on his company website, EliteBenefits.com. If you are a CFO and HR professional, the owner of a company, and you are tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each year, out of control premiums with no end in sight, you want to save yourself money, you want to save your employees money, you want to be the employer of choice. I've been reading all these things as the pandemic ends. Lots of people are getting ready to leave their jobs. Lots of people are like, oh, I got to go back into work. I've really gotten used to working at my house and I'm going to find another job that lets me do that. Or I've always wanted to do this and the last year has made me decide that I'm going to go for it. You're going to have a lot of people changing jobs. Be an employer that offers something that attracts employees. And now is the time to get all of your health insurance stuff updated and set yourself up for the next open enrollment period that comes up in the late fall, right around October, November. Give Butch a call right now or visit the website, EliteBenefits.net, or give him a call today, 708-535-3006. All right, so Scott Greger brings up a point, or at least he touched on something there that I want to talk about with you because the moment he said it, I was like, well, I could have this conversation for the next 10 minutes with Scott or I could talk with you about it, okay? Yeah, absolutely. He brings up, things are going good. You're not going to hear anything. You're not going to hear anything about how somebody doesn't like Tony. When things are going bad, you're going to hear it. And he's kind of preparing himself for that. It's going to be that kind of a season. Uh, You know, he said, normally a team loses six in a row, and that might happen this year with this team, even if they go out there and win a bunch of games and win the division without any problem. They're going to have their bad stretches. With this team, if they lose two in a row, he, he might get a text like, by the way, did you know this about Tony? Like the, the shark circle, Tony LaRussa, and it's going to be this up and down thing. But one of the things that stood out to me when he was saying that is he reminds me a lot of Gian. Oh, yeah. Gian was the lightning rod. Like when the press was hunting for a story in the dog days of the summer, if something was wrong, it always centered around Gian and it allowed his team to play loose. In 05, there were all kinds of crazy stories. In 06, there were all kinds of crazy stories. And actually, throughout all of Gian's tenure, there were all kinds of things. But Gian, until the end, really just made it about him. He took the pressure off the players. Later on in that run, he didn't do a very good job. Sometimes he actually put pressure on his own players. Sometimes he was throwing guys under the bus. Sometimes he was making them the story. But right now, LaRusa, being a veteran manager... If he can continue to take it the way he's been taking it, if he can continue to deal with the press and the stories and just let it roll off and be the focus whenever there's something bad, his team can stay loose whether they're playing good or playing bad all season long, and that is a big plus. Well, and that's a veteran move for a manager is to try and and do that, and 
Tony's got experience, you know, being the lightning rod. I mean, it, it is possible that some of the things that we're seeing with him could be him playing the role. You know, uh, the 10th inning doesn't go well. He's got Liam Hendricks out there. That's obviously his call. But the focus becomes he didn't know the rule. The focus doesn't become the Sox didn't execute, you know, because they didn't execute that 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 particular inning. So if Tony's playing the role of I can just be like grandpa and I can get away with it because I can always just play it off like, nah, I'm old, I wasn't thinking about it, eh, you know, and, he, and he's pulling that move. That's not a that's a pretty savvy move. The move that's not a bad move for him to uh, to to do that to take the pressure off the team. But I think the other thing about it too is he's Tony Larusa. He was a controversial hire. He was a guy that came out of nowhere, as far as I think everybody was concerned, to take that managerial job when they fired Ricky Renneria. There's going to be a certain level of scrutiny, and it's it's very hard for people who scrutinize you know, to separate the idea that they can scrutinize him for the good things and the bad things. They're just going to pick on the bad stuff. And when things are going well, they're going to go, well, yeah, we're winning in spite of him. But there's only so many times you can say that, right? There's only so many times you can sit there and tweet or, you know, try and write about it or talk about it and sit there and go, eh, you know, we'd be much better with Tony while we're in first place. Eh, we'd be much better. You know, you can't, you can't really sustain that very long. But the moment something goes wrong, yeah, it's very easy to jump right back on in and say, you know who wouldn't have done this? Robin Ventura. <laughs> you know, Terry Boom Boom Bevington would have figured that out. If somebody had woken up Jerry Manuel, he would have made a different choice. <laughs> uh, Jerry Manuel never saw a game he didn't want to sleep through. All right, so you look at what's going on with this team, and he's making a believer out of me. I still, I still stand by being angry about some of the missteps that he's made. But then I also see him learning from those things. And uh, Gregor brought it up. This is Tony La Russa. He likes to tell people that he's the smartest guy in baseball. Like, he's right. like, this is something he prides himself. He prides himself on being the smartest guy in baseball. And he, he had to eat some humble pie early on. It, it's not going to happen again because he's embarrassed and he's upset about it. And he doesn't want to tarnish his legacy and he wants to do a good job. And, you cannot argue with the fact we have gone over it now for the last several years here on Sox in the Basement. This team doesn't have a high enough OPS on base plus slugging against right-handed pitching. And it got worse when Robert and Jimenez got injured. And yet, the manager is putting together a lineup and making adjustments in-game that is producing a huge run differential and we had a stretch there where it was nine or ten runs a game for several days in a right. row. And, and and some of those times is against a lefty, and some of the times is against a righty. And he's making the right adjustments. So it, you can you can be mad about individual decisions that he makes, but then you see decisions that he makes that you're like that that makes sense. He he brings in your mean Mercedes for the insurance run at the end of that twin series. He brings him in at the perfect time for the pinch hit. You saw him playing games where he he made a pitching change and forced the Twins because they had multiple left-handed hitters coming up in that series to start using pinch hitters in the middle of the game, and he changed their entire lineup on them. He is managing the game a lot differently than what I think we're used to seeing and where he's going to make mistakes. And as I've said, no, no manager is perfect. He's going to make mistakes. There are things you have to give him credit for what he's doing right now. He is 
finding a way to have a team produce offensively in spite of their flaws against right-handed pitching. And I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know if it's fairy dust. I don't know if he he sacrifices a live chicken every day uh, in the in the <laughs> locker room. I, I I don't know. I don't know if if nobody drinks Joe Boo's rum, and as long as nobody touches Tony's rum, then then they go out there and they score even against right-handed pitching. But whatever he's doing, whatever he's doing, it's working. And the culture in the clubhouse is incredible to see that every time a guy gets a hit, they're not only clapping in the dugout, they're jumping over the railing. They're pointing to each other. They're demonstrative. They're, they're, when Billy Hamilton makes the catch in that series against the wall next to the sign that says the catch. The catch. And trust me, the Dwayne Wise one was it better. Was. Okay, Way because Hamilton, that one, that one was going to land inside the ballpark, but it was still a great play by Hamilton. Great play by Hamilton. Okay. Not only is he pumped up and yelling towards his dugout as he's running in, he turns around and yells back to the fans. Like, he's like, yeah, I caught that ball. And like, it's that, it's this just like almost childhood excitement that this team has. And if you had a manager that didn't understand when to do certain things, I don't think that would exist. You can't, you can't look at Tony and and be like, well, that would have happened without him. He he knows when to get out of the way. He's allowing the culture of the team to grow in a positive manner. And he's going to be the one there when things start falling apart because there's no way you keep up a pace all year long. You're going to have losing streaks. And that'll be, I think, the next big test. That's the next thing I'm waiting for. But looking at his track record, I'm not scared. No, and, and you got to distinguish, too, between Tony making a mistake and Tony making a move that just doesn't work, right? Because there's going to be a moment where he's going to put a guy in and... You know, if Mercedes, for example, strikes out in that situation, he, he the pinch hit is wasted and, and he doesn't get the insurance run. You can look at it and go, well, maybe he shouldn't have maybe he shouldn't have done that. And you can you can always second guess. But if you're going to be an armchair manager like that and every time something goes wrong, you say you would have done something different. I don't really have anything to say back to you because that's not what we're here for. But if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, right? And you think about going back to Ozzie Guillen and winning the World Series, and, and you know, I don't want to play Remember When too much, but that's what we're in the, in the hunt for this year is to have Tony La Russa take this team to a World Series. And what he does at the end of the season over the course of 162 plus the playoffs, let's hope, that's how you want to measure what he did. And for right now, how about focusing on the idea that Everybody said Tony LaRusse is going to come in and he's going to yell at the kids to get off his lawn and no one's going to have any fun. They're going to have to sit there in perfect posture and eat their peas in the dugout and not do anything. Yeah, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. No, this team is having a ton of fun. And you know who else is? It looks like he's actually having fun. Tony freaking LaRusse looks like he's actually having fun. (laughs) I think Tony, I think Tony like has a blast. Like he probably has to take an extra nap. Oh, sure. You know, so he has enough energy to keep up with these kids. But I mean, like, I think he's having an absolute blast. I also think he's still trying to figure out who he wants in the late innings in big situations. Like for as much as everybody wants Michael Kopech to be the guy that comes into this rotation at some point, Tony LaRusse is sitting there thinking to himself, I don't know. He's one of the few guys that I trust to get me to lead. Yeah, he might, you might start seeing him do more setup work. Really? like he really like I've seen him now do it a couple times when he really needs a guy to get him to bridge him to something. He goes to Kopech and he's really starting to trust crochet since he came back from the injury. Well, his heater's back, isn't it? And his heater's back and he looks good too. And th- those are the guys I think he trusts an awful lot. And, and he's, he's 
playing games right now were like the Ruiz thing the other day. And, you know, he's going to see what it, oh yeah, you're, you're pitching real good, kid. Let's see what happens in a pressure situation. That didn't nope. work out. <laughs> Jose Ruiz is going right back to what Jose Ruiz does. Pitches in garbage yeah. time. And that's totally fine with me. That's where he belongs. If he's effective in garbage time, I'll take him. Sure, because if the team's putting up 10 runs a game, guess what we're going to have a lot of? Yeah. Garbage time. Yeah, a lot of Jose Ruiz. I want to see an awful lot of Jose Ruiz out there. Anytime you see Jose Ruiz, it means you're winning. When number 66 starts warming up, that means you're doing well in the game. That's that's the indicator. That should be an indicator to opposing dugouts. If they see Jose Ruiz <laughs> warming up, they should just sit there and go, we're bad at baseball. We need to go home. Ah, time to get hot dogs for the whole team. Hot dogs and What chips. do you guys want? <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere a podcast can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.